Huzzah! I'm Spider, and welcome to the Jacks Rangers and New England Free Jacks podcast. And here is your host, Phil Harris. Yeah! Huzzah, Rangers. This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers show. Welcome to episode 67. We are calling this one the Bye Week Blues. Your New England Free Jacks are now on the Bye Week here in week three, an early Bye Week for the Free Jacks. But of course, after this week, we've got DC in our first home game for the Iris Heritage game. Super excited for that. Can't wait to see what the Free Jacks have in store for those Irish Heritage jerseys. In this episode, we spoke with New England Referees Society's Tom Barrio about upcoming referee clinics. Expect to see the outriders out there at those referee clinics having a good time and learning about the laws of the game. In addition to that, we had a very special outriders segment, the first time ever that I was not hosting the outriders segment. This one is Diamond Dave and Bozo Six talking about the San Diego review. I'll be back with you to close up shop, but in the meantime, let's hit that theme music, baby. Huzzah! Woo! Huzzah, Rangers! This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers Show. I'm joined with Diamond Dave, and also we've got a very, very special guest this time around. His name is Tom Barrio. He is with the New England Rugby Referees Society. How the hell are you, boys? Doing well. This, this is great. Rugby season's coming, and, you know, just excited to do, spend Saturdays because Saturday's a rugby day, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that. I guess there's some sort of game going on right now, the Super Bowl. The Patriots and the Panthers are not in there, so I'm not watching it. We're doing this instead. This is very, very important work. Um, we're talking about rugby referees with Tom here. Tom, first, let's get started with where are you from? So I'm from uh, Boston, from the Boston area. So I was born and raised in the Boston area. And you're uh, currently on the West Coast, right, doing a little skiing right now? Uh, I. Yeah, I live in Bend, Oregon in the wintertime, so I'm okay. actually refing out here in two weeks for the Pacific Northwest Society, so nice. I do a few games here and then come back to, you know, to New England for April. Yeah, Very excited. cool. What is your origin story with rugby? How did you get started with rugby? Yeah, good question. So, started in college. I was, I played football in high school and played baseball and went to school on a baseball scholarship and when you play 50 games in three months in New England in the spring in baseball, it's not fun. And this is back in, I'm older, so this is like 89, 90. And um, rugby was a lot different back then. And I looked mm -hmm. in the bullpen down at my friends that were playing rugby, throwing each other around in the mud and having a blast. And I'm like, what am I doing? So I just, my sophomore year, I quit, played rugby and learned and, then from there, we did a study abroad program in England and picked up the game and got better at it and then got out of school. And um, I played for Charles River, Charles River Rats in Boston. I've heard of them. <laughs> I've heard of them, yeah. Played yeah. for the Rats. Then I went to West Coast and played for Santa Monica briefly for a year. And okay. that was that was the Super League at the time, but I didn't mm -hmm. make the Super League team. But what an eye-opening experience that was at playing at that level. And then mm -hmm. came back and played for uh, the the rats for a little bit while and then i played for the greyhounds 
the Boston Irish old boys side that I've been playing with for about 10, 12 years now. And then I started um, a friend of mine, we met in town and we're throwing our kids around in the pool. I'm like, boy, they wish they had a youth program around here. So mm-hmm. my ex-wife at the time said, well, why don't you guys start something? So we started something in 2000, I think, yeah, 2009, we started the Essex Youth Rugby Program. Nice. And yeah, the first season we had, and it, well, well, we started out as flag, and then we moved quickly. The kids learned we want to start tackling, right? So it was, right. it was grassroots before Myra was invented. We started all this team. We'd play, and when we got up to high school, we started um, having tackle. And, you know, SIP, what is that when you're starting, you know, <laughs> a youth program, right? And it's like, yeah. well, we need referees to do it. So I took a referee course with Joseph Kamehameha, who you might know. I do. And um, we both got certified and I just started refereeing, you know, these high school and youth programs. And then my son decided that, hey, uh, rugby's not for me. Mm-hmm. So I got out of the coaching thing and just said, all right, I'm going to referee full time. And I got hooked. And the reason why I got hooked with refereeing and I wish I had started earlier is because it's really hard. It is really, really hard to be a good ref out there because the amount of things that go on in every tackle there you have to mm-hmm. you have a checklist, a mental checklist. And how many tackles are there in a rugby match? Something like 184 a game. A lot. Yeah. So times seven or eight, that's the mathematical stuff that you have to remember every tackle, right? Not including the other stuff. So yep. it's a real, how do I say this? Um, uh, basically challenge, a cerebral challenge to be a good mm-hmm. referee. On yeah. our referee society, we literally have three doctors that are doctors right? PhD people that, you know, they know the law book and they're, they're, they have photographic memory, but they know the law book extremely well and they love rugby. So, you know, this, the, the, the more you practice and the more education you get, the better you get, the better you are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the New England Referee Society, what is it exactly? I think you guys get sure. paid a little bit of money, right? Every time you ref? Yeah. Does hey, if you want to get paid to, uh, you know, to referee rugby, we pay. We pay mileage, we pay per game, right? And the higher you get up, the more money you make, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you're not making a massive living off of this, <laughs> but, you know, it's a little pocket change for you, and you get to enjoy the game at a different level. So we're in Cups all in New England. Um, mm-hmm. We have exchanges. So I'm going to with Gloucester in the U.K. We have a, an annual exchange. Nice. We'll go over there for a week. Myself, Tara Roberts, and Michael Connell, we're getting over there this week. I mean, uh, at the end of the month. We also have an exchange with Bermuda. We also have an exchange with SIRS, which is Southeast Rugby Referee Society, as well as Quebec. So we send referees up wow. to Quebec. It's a new one. So, and you know, a lot of people hit our website, and you know, they they find rugby referees, and we just we train them, we nurture them. There's four different assigners. There, I handle the Boston and Rhode Island area. We have one that handles like the Worcester, Connecticut area, Vermont, and then New Hampshire, Maine. So, mm. and you know, we we interchange. We look at the every season of you know the top games or top matches that are going on and we have a ranking of our referees and we assign them to where they're you know best be fit but you know we we pretty much have i think about 45 active referees maybe even more you know and some referees maybe do three or four games to be a part of the society you have to do three or four games a season and we have some iron men like Alex, who, yep. you, know, you know, that might do four games a weekend or yeah. Josh might do four games a weekend. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of running because you're averaging 
three and a half to four point two miles a, a game when you're running when you're refereeing. So it's a Crazy. lot of yeah. a lot of work, you know, a lot of work in avoidance of tackles. And, <laughs> right. You know, and then there's MIA. We don't do Massachusetts. Um, we uh, we bring referees in, and that's assigned by a different assigner, and that's by the the school. But we just, we work with those folks as well. Right. So, For high school rugby in Massachusetts, yes, that is right. Yeah. yeah. So, which is really hard to referee because. <laughs> You know, with men's league or women's league or higher level, you can anticipate where the ball is going all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas high school, a kid might go left, and then he's going to go backwards 20 yards. And, then <laughs> fight, and you're like, where are you going? You know, it's right. just they just don't understand. They haven't played the game that much. So Yes. But there's a lot of chances to referee everything. You know, we do it all. We do it all. And where you guys – yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was, where do you kind of try to start new referees out? At, like, you know, MLR. when you have some – kidding no. <laughs> just right in right in the meat grinder right in. like um, what what's the best balance between like people who know what they're doing so it's predictable but it's not so intense that you know it's going to be a really fierce match where you really need to have good control over the teams yeah so this is um we typically start you know referees on a slower level match and that could be a, a women's d4 match it could be a, a women's mm-hmm. d2 match or even a um, you know, or a, a D3 or D4 men's team, right? But we assign a coach. We So that's one thing that we didn't have up until two years ago because most we were hurting from so many games on the weekend and so many matches in the weekend, we didn't have any coaching. Now we have coaches. So there's six coaches that will be assigned to a new referee so that you don't get thrown into the fire and, you know, getting yelled at, right? Or just, mm-hmm. you know, get disgusted and leave. That That's right. the biggest thing because it's – it's hard. So with our with our new club, we have two classes coming up this spring, which I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Um, yes. But they're both around uh, a practice or a scrimmage. So that way we get to throw them into the scrimmage. We also suggest that you reach out to a local club and go to their practice. Uh, like at Bend, Oregon here, I'll go to their practices and I'll referee there, you know, when they get together on Thursdays before the matches on Saturday. So it helps them learn, right? That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. But typically that that's what and we start about as ARs. So majority of the time they start out as ARs. You know, like we have two high school kids that they're making money on that they're making seventy five dollars a game plus mileage. So they're walking away one hundred fifty bucks. Nice. Right on, you know, on a Saturday for two and a half hours, and they're mic'd up because they're doing high level matches. So they get to see like a Matt Lake or like a Marquise or you know like a Jared or someone like that or Amelia. They'll be working yeah. with them, so they get to see you know, what a really good referee is, right? That's pretty incredible. That's, I mean, that's that's good money for a high school student. I mean, you know, even in this day and age, that's good. That's really good money. So good for them. Yeah, you can make want... an extra between two to, some guys make 10,000, two to 10K a year, you know? Not referee. bad. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the upcoming, you were mentioning a moment ago, the spring level one referee certification courses. Tell us about the dates on that and what does that yes. really entail? So if you go to, here's the plug, New England, any rugby refs.org, there's, um, and I can share my screen. So why don't I Yeah, that? let's do it. So you can see it. And where is it? Oh, I don't know. It's entire, I'll just share my entire screen. Mm-hmm. Can I do that? Yes, I can. All right, perfect. That's you guys. So NewEnglandRefs.org, becoming a referee. So this is right on the homepage. So if you click on the homepage, there is a link. There's a box up here. It's March 12th at Salve Regina and April 1st at St. John's Prep in Danvers. 
So there's an all day, 8.30 to 4, and you can sign up literally right on, um, right, it brings you to USA Rugby, where you can then create an account, and you walk through, and I think it, it, I, it there's a new thing called Rugby ID, so just give me one second. <laughs> here. No, um, it's okay. But you can then hit the Learning Center, and um, it'll bring up, you can bring up, you know, all the courses that, Excellent. Uh, that are going on. So here's some of the courses, right? Level, level one referee. So it's $85, you just add it and you can pick where you want, right? So you don't have to, you're not limited to Massachusetts, you know, to New England. You can go anywhere you want, right? And once you do four matches, we reimburse you for this $85. $85. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so we couldn't see the screen. I'm gonna try to bring it up you myself see the screen? here. Oh, yeah. let me try it again. Uh, I know it worked right. when we tested it before. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Let me Darn. share again. Um, there it is. Let me just try to share. Can you see it? There we go. Now we're talking. Hang on one second. Right. There we go. Yeah, All right. There got we go. it. So, um, homepage, newenglandrugbyrefs.org. Um, there's a bunch of stuff in here too. So if you want to learn about a referee, there's a, there's a code of contact, you know, reimbursement courses, which is also linked to here, development laws for clubs. So we request a referee the fees, a feedback form, which we have our coaches do all the time. But for the course, you just click on this piece. It tells you March 12th or April 1st. So if I click on April 1st, it brings me to USA Rugby. Mm -hmm. And from USA Rugby, you can pick right here anywhere you want to be um, to get to get certified. And it's Excellent. usually out. Gotcha. Let's so, go to Albuquerque. I see it on there. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Phil, let's do the Albuquerque course. Yeah, there you go, man. Might New be a Mexico. little bit too warm. Breaking yeah. Bad, you can go Breaking Bad, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I see Newport. I see Newport on there, and yeah. then uh, the Dan. Yeah, New Hampshire, snow, right so. here. Whoops. Ooh. Oh. Neck of the woods. Yeah. So the one you don't see on here is the April first. That's still we're still waiting for USA Rugby to get that. Okay. Yeah. I believe that Phil, myself, and Chris are planning to come to that April first Danvers uh, class as long as it gets locked in. Awesome. So we're all yeah, really good coach. That'll be teaching that course. It's, oh, yeah, good. Awesome. is really good. So, excellent. Yeah, you just wait for that to be finalized. So, Jared Ford is our development. He runs our high performance and referee development. Mm -hmm. So, Jared has a great story. So, he played for Carrick Pell at Babson. Okay. And then just wanted a referee. So, he started refereeing in the society and got picked up by USA Rugby. And they sent him to South Africa for two weeks and trained in South Africa. And then he came back. He's also refereed in the UK. He's refereed on the West Coast. And now he's on the national, like he gets D1A games all around the country through um, Richard Every, who runs our, uh, we'll talk about Advantage and our top tier program in the United mm -hmm. States that we get, that we educate the best referees on. So it was a lot, a lot, of, a lot of growth. Depending on if you just want to do community, you can do community. Just want to do high school you can do high school if you want to get you know via nigel owens you know you could do that as well right and, and there's that you know there's a couple referees that i've met um that you know i know now that are you know international they do the seventh circuit so it's it's pretty cool it's pretty cool it's if you want to see the world or you want to go anywhere if you're a referee in rugby you can just like any you want to play in a club you can do the same thing but the best part is is uh 
less bumps and bruises. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a great way to put it, Tom. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about our fr a friend of the show, uh, you know, a friend of Dave and I's, uh, Joshua. I think you were alluding to him earlier. He's yeah. been killing it in the, his referee journey. Can you talk about his development as a referee? Yeah. So Joseph Kamehameha introduced us, you know, he's like, hey, first of all, he thought he was Kenyan. So that's wrong. He's Ugandan. So there's a big yes. difference, right? <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, he introduced them to the society. We embraced him. You know, what did you want to do? We started him in seven. So that's that's a good way to start. We start good referees will or referee development will start in sevens because it's less less going on, right? You don't have to manage that many scrums, lineouts are easier, you know, it's, it's very fast paced. And it's quick, you know, feedback back and forth because it's only seven minutes a game, seven minutes right. a half, right? So he started in sevens and then said, hey, I need more and started learning. So we got him involved with NERA. So NERA is the women's program. That's uh, that's all, the, um, you know, division one schools and Richard Every and this advantage program. So we, we dissect his matches and he just learned and learned. And then he got noticed because he's very fast and mm -hmm. being a good referee is also trying to keep up with the ball. Right. Because yes. where do most infractions happen, you know? at the tackle right? right so if you're not there and can't keep up with the pace you know you're calling from the 22 right, right. <laughs> yeah yep. you, don't to, you don't want to do that that's what and that's good and bad right so josh's um journey has been really good right josh is i give him crap all the time so one of the <laughs> things that you don't do is you're not supposed to wear tights under your rugby shorts so the the final of um of dartmouth and harvard the women's yes. match, He's wearing tights. We're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we gave him a hard time on that. But you know, he's, he's, he was just got back from Texas. So he was doing a game down there, uh, division, yep. uh, division one team. So he, yeah, he's, he's ramping it up. He's doing really well. And he's a work, he's a workhorse. He works all the time. He's refereeing all the time. I love it. That's great. We're so happy to hear about that. You know, he's one of our favorite people that are involved in the Free Jacks fan oh, community. Yeah. And and he's he's we're gonna really miss him because I don't think he's gonna be at the, a lot of the games because he's gonna be involved in MLR, I believe, in some capacity. Really? Um he is he's our main chanter, uh Tom. He, he's really gets oh, everybody going. Yep, absolutely. He definitely is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh his whole crew. His whole crew is uh, Tom's Tom's right in there. Tom's seats are just a little bit below mine. And so, yeah, Tom knows exactly what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> they have bring the drum, right? He brings the drum. Yeah. Yeah. They got the drum. Yep. 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 Yeah. So that's, it's, that's it's a whole awesome. thing. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Josh is a good man. He's a great person. For sure. Really great guy. He's been yeah, on the there's show. There's a bunch of other referees that are bouncing up there, too. You know, yeah. so we have three or four that are in the hopper. Diego, the Lobos, is out of Maine, and he's right up there with Josh. So mm -hmm. he's been going all over the place. So uh, we have a full international. We have two people from France. We have an Argentinian, which is Diego. Josh mm -hmm. is from Uganda. We have, you know, people from New Zealand. So um, okay, Thomas Grant from the Free Jacks. He's a very good yes. referee. He's refereeing. Wow. Right. So very yeah, cool. he's very good. Um, and then we have uh, English, a couple guys from England and you know, and then a bunch of Americans. So it's, I mean, I'm not leaving out any countries here, I hope, but no, we're very diverse in a lot of the international folks that come in, they hit our site automatically and they love what we do with the program because a lot of these folks didn't have like French rugby is completely different than American rugby, right? And right. we don't know that, but he's like, wow, I didn't realize because Americans, you know, they used to American football first, so they hit harder Yes, you know, they, 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 the game is different, so they had to learn a lot. But the coaching that we do is just um, 
helps them prepare for that, right? And when we're coaching somebody, we don't want to get in their head too much, right? It's like one or two things that they have. That's all you work. And then we work on other things because, gotcha. you know, once you get into a rhythm, the, t- the team's get into a rhythm and then they can anticipate where it's going to happen and what you're looking for. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Uh, I wanted to ask you a personal question in regards to refereeing. What is the most cards you've ever given out in a game? Five. Five? Okay. Yeah, a red Five. card thrown in there at all? Or? Two red cards, three yellows. Whoa. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the story? Was that any fighting going on in that one? A couple fights. Yeah, wow. two fights. Um, that was down in Savannah. That's when I did that. That was a semifinal game. Yeah, okay. I did that. Uh, I, I didn't do it. They did that to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You know, well – See, in order to the last cards, and we had a discussion on this. So we have two programs. We have the D1A and NERA teams that we get on these recordings. We also have Anchor. Anchor is New York and New England. So that's where our best referees get on. And any referee that's in New England, we get on these video calls every week. We have one this Monday. And we talk about it. One of the things we broke down was the Brown-Queens um, game. Did you see how many yellow cards were in that match? If you didn't no. watch, go watch it. I think there were seven yellow cards, right? And this is the... D1 national, you know, NCR final. So, and that referee is really good. And it's not a lot of his fault, but, um, you know, we discussed, hey, how do you eliminate cards and how do you eliminate, mitigate more penalties? Because as a referee, the less penalties you have, the better the match is, right? Mm-hmm. right. So, I did a Dartmouth versus um, women's, Dartmouth versus Quinnipiac, you know, they're, you know, um, Division One schools. Mm-hmm. And I had eight penalties in that game, one game, eight whistles. That's it. That was wow. probably the lowest I've had. Wow. Typically, you're at, you know, 15. You want to be up to 15, 20. That's really good. And then, you know, any more than that, you have to figure out and talk to the captains and, and let them know that, hey, there's going to be a problem here. You've got to talk to your team. You've got to do something about this because you're giving yourself no choice, right? Does that make right. sense? Yes. All right. Next question for me. This is actually the last one for me is uh, if there's someone out there that is watching or listening to this, and they're maybe considering being a ref or becoming a referee, what would you tell them? Oh, just go for it. It's so much fun. It's going to give you, it's going to make you uh, understand rugby a lot better, right? So whether you're watching a match or whether you're, you know, talking to somebody about rugby, it just, your knowledge just expands because, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a front row player and a scrum half, I'm always used to moving the ball down the sides and looking at, you know, um, where, where the openings or where the ball should go, right? You know, looking for that open space. Yes. As a referee, it's like, you, it's an entirely different dynamic. It's all about placement, where you need to be and how you anticipate that. And we learn something new every game. Literally, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. Every game, there's something that you've never seen before that you're like, oh, what's the call, right? <laughs> so as a referee, as a new person, it's going to test you you know, mentally, as well as physically, because you're running around, right? You have to manage this. You just have to be calm. So it's going to make you um, understand the game a lot better, mm-hmm. as well as make you probably possibly make you a better rugby player, right? Because you, you see different things from it. And it's just, it's a good way to, if you're older or you just don't want to play anymore, or you still want to be involved. It's a perfect way to be right in the game. You know what I mean? Because you'll, you'll get a breadth of knowledge and a, a vantage point that you've never seen before as a player, or as a coach. It's a great way to put it, Tom. I think uh, some people that might watch this may uh, join us at the uh, at the little clinic that we're going to have here. Okay. So, yeah, with that being said, I'm going to let Dave take over. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. 
Um, great to talk to you, Tom. You mentioned the Charles River Rats already. We know each other from Charles River and from you've you've refereed me many times, and we've just you know been in the New England rugby community for a long time. So it's great to have you on the show. Um, knowing the community, I know there's there's a lot of camaraderie among the referees. Can you talk yes. about that? You know, just the refereeing as a social, uh, you know, the social side. I know there's things like the referee dinner at the Nerfu tournament every year. You're mm-hmm. a pretty close group, right? Yes. Yeah. Because we all want to, no one wants to go out there and do a bad job, right? Right. That's just bad for me, and that's just deflating. If I mean, I walked off the pitch a few times, and I'm like, God damn, those two calls. I really wish I had taken those back, right? Yeah. So you call another ref, and then we'll walk you through it, right? So that's almost like a, say it's like an AA card. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> we're all in it together, right? We right. all want to be better. So um, it's such a passion that, you know, it's like, that's the biggest thing. So yeah, we are very tight, you know, all different walks of life, right? As I mentioned, we have from PhD students to, you know, electricians to, you know, anybody in the middle, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. um, a very close knit group because we all, all want to get better. You know what I mean? And it's, um, and it's hard, you know, and some guys, you know, some people want to do better than others. They want to move up, right? You know what I mean? So it gets competitive, you know, some of these referees as they move up, like, I want that game. I want that, you know, the Wolfhounds versus Boston final or the Wolfhounds <laughs> versus Portland final, you know, as a men's right. or a collegiate like that Yale, that Harvard, you know, Dartmouth game. That's a great match. And being selected for that is a huge accomplishment. It's a huge, you know, tap on your shoulder saying, wow, we trust you. You've done a great job. You've earned that. Right. So we all learn from each other. I mean, I literally still text and talk to Akira Doe, you know, or, mm-hmm at lake or you know rob gilmore out in new york we'll, we'll we'll all talk and like hey i ran in this scenario what did you call right what would you do right so because you can only learn so much by watching videos and reading you know what i mean right. it, it, this is a real apprenticeship it's like a plumber's apprenticeship the only way you get better as a referee is by doing it you know what i mean and the more experience you get the better referee you get become and the more you want to share that with somebody you know, here's a good example. So goal line drop out first released, right? Yeah. I'm in a match and a guy does a goal line drop out, hits the back, hits the post, goes out the back. What's the call? <laughs> I have no it? idea. Uh, I would guess you would say what, like brought in by the kick. I would think it would be like brought in by the kicking team. So a scrum to the other know. team. Is That's that it? it? But at first, you good job, Dave. All right. Hey. All right. So that was the key. It's like, whoa, what, you know, there's a lot of these little nuances that you just don't see. And yeah. What we try to train, and you know, Peter Watson is is one of the best, you know, referee coaches I've ever seen. You know, he he knows the game extremely well. He's like, just bring it back to the first thing you saw. Just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. So when you're as a ref, you like first it's just chaos, right? You're just trying to manage it, but you always bring down the first thing. But that person didn't go through the gate. Okay, that's the first mitigating factor. And then there's advantage and all these other things that you know we can talk about it's like this advantage we're trying not to play that much anymore because the uh-huh. st- studies were done that i think it was almost 90 percent when advantage was played was never gained so why you okay. blow the whistle and just you know back to the mini and especially you know when you're getting down in the 22 inside of 22 it's a totally mm-hmm. different totally different mindset that we have so we break it out into the where the field set is where the where the um you know, where the play is going on and what's going to happen, you know? So there's a lot of things that are going on. Interesting. 
Um, you mentioned Peter Watson. I was going to ask next, does he still come and, you know, loom like a specter around? He's a guy who, if you were playing or at a match, you might just see a guy there in a coat with a notebook watching the game and a hat, you know, and he does, he's checking to make sure that referee does the best job he can possibly. Yeah. That's great. You know, it's almost like your, your father coming to watch you play a game, you know, and said, coach mm-hmm. you and you're expecting to do it well. I mean, when you coach me. I'll get nervous. I'm like, oh crap. He's gonna, yeah. He's gonna find something wrong. You know what I mean? That's but it's not finding something wrong. It's like, hey, how can I make you better? Right? Look at it mm-hmm. this way. You know, so because some referees are like, hey, they would blow the whistle and say, do the first signal, but forget the second signal. Yeah. Or, you know, blow the whistle but not name the number. Because there's so much going on. It's like, you know, five, not rolling away. So, you know, little nuances in the whole idea of a good referee is less is more. So the less you say, the better you get, right? And then, you know, just make it clear and obvious to everybody that's out there. So Peter is really good because he, you know, he's he's got an unbelievable brain. He can remember everything, and then he breaks it down. And then when we we have our coaching um, session, he's like, now what were you thinking here? You know, what what was this? You know, hey, around here, what were you what were you doing? Hey, how about what about positioning here, right? In a lineup, for instance. I found myself, or I've, I've seen this with other referees, when you position by the front of the line out, as soon as the ball goes out, if you're not running, you're stuck behind all the props and right. the second throws. And I'm not 6'8". <laughs> I can't see what's going on. So, you know, you, the positioning is different, right? So those are the mm-hmm. things. And the scrum, right? You know, some refs where they stand, you're anticipating where the ball's going, because but you're still looking up, right? Because you want the players looking at you. And you want to see the scrum. You're looking at the shoulder angle, the flat backs. You're seeing what's going on, and you're watching the scrum. So there's like 17 things going on that you're, you know, in a position in a better vantage point. So that's what he teaches, and that's what we do here. That's that great. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other piece is you have the advantage system, right? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that and how that helps for uh, referee development? Yeah, absolutely. Let me share my screen one more time again. So. Uh up there let me just do it can i do the whole for some reason it doesn't come out all chrome oh, there it is yes. uh no that's usa rugby i don't want that one it's not bringing up all the tabs we just do entire screen yeah nope. yeah that'll yeah. do it probably right here so advantage so better referee in our society <laughs> gonna, we didn't get yeah. we didn't we didn't get Try the um screen i think the whole screen is what's was what's busted but that's all right you oh, can all wow. you can just Tell us about it if it doesn't pull up. Let me try it one more time. All right. I'm yeah. pretty good with this stuff. So, all right. Let me just try it from here so you can see my email. So, we get a recap. So, this is D1A. Yeah. So, yep. there's D1A, there's Nira, there's um, some NCR stuff. And this is what, you know, Richard built this program to basically pull things in. Um, so, if I hopefully, if I click on this, I can see the clips. And all the referees, can you see this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is. Okay, good. I'll get rid of this tab. So advantage is this is right here. So it didn't, it didn't bump us over. I lied. We can see the email still. There you go. There we go. Good. There it is. All right. So this is, we go over. So every referee gets picked There's two or three referees a week and gets picked and up and they, the video that these D one schools and all these, you know, anybody that videos a a match, we upload into the system and then we dissect it and we bring out clips. And the okay. clips are here. So, for instance, here is Arizona versus Arizona, right? So it's oh Utah actually, 
And we can see, and they're talking about here, Rosalind is talking about defensive wall in this. And when we as break as well, it down, have we a little go after this one. Hey, we get a couple meters and then put down quite easily by that Utah team. And, you know, you can hear the video, you can hear that when we start He's... talking and say, walk us through this, Mr. Referee. Why did you pick this clip? You know, what did you see here? Right. Mm. So it, it gives, you know, real, you know, real, real work, you know, right, right. here. So this is a collapsed scrum. This is UC Santa Barbara. Right. And it's just talking about how we can manage this scrum better. We can, you know, fast forward it. You can rewind it and stuff like that. But if we let it play out, let just go through five seconds. You know, we're trying to eliminate a lot of these slingshots, which you don't see. The scrum's going to collapse. And what we realized here on this pace is like, you have to pause first, right? So it was like this cadence was off. So, you know, these are the things that as you get better or as, you know, you get a higher level matches or even lower level, that they're put in the system. You can see them all in the, here's all of Nira from last year. You can go back as far as three years to see matches and clips that we put together, you know, of, of different things, foul plays, scrums, broken down. It's very powerful in what we do and it helps you learn and you know you could put your own competencies up here and create a new report so this is you know the dashboard for the system it's kind of slow right now but so this was a game that i did with dartmouth versus quinnipiac and i self-reviewed myself but you can upload any of these things and then see what your matches are and your competencies are so it's it's pretty powerful it's uh yeah it's great great learning tool very flexible it looks like too you could really get a lot of uh, feedback from different referees absolutely all the knock-ons you have dave are all in there from all the <laughs> every single one of them yeah um can you walk us through uh the high tackle yellow red card decision making yeah. framework i know fans might think sometimes it's arbitrary but it's actually really clear right there's very clear guidance for referees yeah i, I sent you that do you want to bring that up that piece there oh i can in a moment yeah give yeah. me a second so you know, this, we see this, if you're watching any of the Six Nations, you're going to see this applied. And you can mm -hmm. see it applied at the MLR matches, right? So the first thing we look at, right, if I'm, when you, well, I'll just keep talking when you're bringing that up, is the tackler has to maintain, has to start moving down, right? You can't be standing up. So that's the first thing we look for. Is he, is that he or she moving down, right? Are they getting down into a tackle position? And right. if they if they are good, okay, that's a good thing. And if they if they're not and they have direct head neck contact without wrapping, that's an automatic red. It's pretty simple here, right? Shoulder mm -hmm. charge, head neck contact, red card, automatic, right? So shoulder charge, not direct but high, right? Meaning not hitting the head, but you know I put a shoulder in without wrapping, that's a yellow, and then low you know low is uh unless now it's, there's mitigating factors on this right i could i warn somebody shoulder charge penalty right Great. right but right. then you have a talk wrap if they don't do it again yellow right pretty much that's the that's the format right this one right here is high tackle with shoulder head arm and direct head neck it's, it's automatic right high tackle up tall hit somebody here or in the neck above the nipple line we look for in the face and they hit their head automatic red now if it's if they stop you know and they don't hit the head that's the biggest thing it's a yellow and then right here you know high tackle with arm and uh you know shoulder head arm that's going in this way this is like a clothesline you know not a clothesline but indirect it's a yellow right mm -hmm. and then high seat fat tackle or just something because like, sometimes 
you just might start tackle low and then you roll it up and then you're on their head, right? That's usually that's usually a green, you know what I mean? You know, just you know, a PK, right? Right, right. And green so in this is still a penalty, it just means no card. Correct. Yes. Now, if they keep doing that, it goes up, right? Yellow. You know what I mean? That's yeah. it. We warned you. Yeah. First one's a penalty. You know, the law is state. You know, this is you keep doing this, it's gonna be a problem for you. So please don't do that, right? It's all right. safety first. Yeah, re repeated infringement of, of any flavor is going to be a problem yes. with any good referee. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. And, and part of that, you know, this, what we've tried to change, too, is um, a pregame. So I'm meeting with coaches two days ahead before the match. Oh, wow. Let them know and say, this is what I'm looking for, right? For scrums, I'm looking for flat back. I'm looking for shoulder straight and drive forward. If you drive forward and do all those things, you will be rewarded. If it starts moving to the side, you bring something down, you know, you know what happens on that, right? Lineups, you know, props, make sure you set that mark. Um, 10, you make sure you're the, on, on your team, your back line is onside. I'm not going to watch you. That's your responsibility. If you're offsides, that's you, right? right. Um, you know, 14, 11, you guys watch your touch judge. If they house them, they're going to set the five meter or the 10 meter mark, right? Don't, you know, and they're going to tell you too. back, you know, we don't want to just keep, you know, but you have to look for these things. Hooker, throw the ball in straight. This is straight. This is not straight. So, you know, jumpers, make sure you're going to see a mark like this. So we try to set that up ahead of time, mm -hmm. you know, so that they understand what's going to happen and, you know, roll away, right? Well, roll away east to west, not north, south. North, you, you could go north right. if you want, but you can interrupt your own player, right? Right. Majority of the you know, the not rolling away calls that you see out there is typically um, like a person will make a tackle. And as they're the fact of rolling away, they slow the ball down. And then that person goes in for a poach and they got the ball. The poach is there, but his other play is not out, not out of the way yet. So that's that's not fair contest. So that's why you see, oh, they had the ball. I'm like, well, that guy's not out of the way, so the other team couldn't come in and you know right. maintain that possession. That's why that call happened, right? So you know those are the types of things that if you can now you can't mitigate everything, right? You know what I mean? It just you might get tackled on the wrong side by accident, right? It just happens, right? Right. So those are the things that you know we look for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, have you found that it's helpful meeting with those coaches? I mean, you've, you've been refereeing since before you did that. And now yeah. that's a new thing. Do you think it makes a difference? Huge, huge penalty count goes down low. Um, you know, coaches know how to coach. They know how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. They know what the referee is looking for. And we try to mean, and that's why the community, we talk about the referee community. We yeah. want to make sure we're setting a standard as well. Right. Cause you don't want to have one person like on still every match to this day. When is the ball out, sir? Oh my God. Every time every time right so you know some it you know sky over the ball two hands off the ground you know that that's that's when the ball's out right mm -hmm. um and we maintain that throughout our referees we let them know that so that there's a standard there but getting back to the coaches it just makes the game a lot a lot more uh fun right and i know for instance um you know jared ford who runs our rdo development he had a call, you know, just like I did two days before the Wolfhounds were supporting with both coaches on there. So it, penalty count was really low. That was a tense game. Um, you know, Wolfhounds won, but you know, it was really it, it was really well contested and not the whistle wasn't blown that much. And everybody knew what was gonna happen. So that that's huge. It's it, policy dictates behavior, right? Right. You know, if, if I'm gonna, hey, you do something and 
you're gonna get a thousand dollars, you're gonna do that, right? If you're gonna say you're gonna do that same effort and not pay somebody, give them zero, they're gonna get a little little different. You know what I mean? So policy dictates behavior. So having that pregame speech and that setup with the players and the coaches in the front rows, usually at a higher level or even at a lower level, it just makes the like I told you, you know, this is guys or girls or ladies or players. You know, this is the problem. You, you right. know, we talked about this at the beginning. So you have to manage this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a lot to manage. You've talked about how much support there is for referees. Also, the challenge level um, that they face, just the cerebral task of refereeing that many breakdowns and everything else. Um, what makes a good referee? Like, what are the yeah. qualities of a person that makes them a good candidate to, to become a referee? Yeah, a teacher. I'd say, you know, somebody that likes to teach or coach, right? We all want them to do better. We all, I love good rugby. Everybody does, right? Yeah. It's just, there's nothing worse than having a hundred knock-ons in a match, right? <laughs> no, that's inevitable sometimes, but I mean, a good, you know, a good, it could be anybody, right? So anybody that like loves the map, loves the game and just wants to learn more and get better, you know, and just stay involved, we could train anybody and we put you at any level, you know, to make and coach you. Right. That's it. But, you know, at the highest level is the people that can make that quick, you know, that understand the laws behind it, how to interpret the laws. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot. Right. So it's a lot yeah. more. I look at Amelia Luciano. You know, Amelia has been doing this for quite some time, but she's still studying her all the time. Right. All the time because she wanted to get to that international level, which she did. Yeah, right? yeah I was going to say she's there. Right. She's really yeah. still succeeding as a ref. And when the Kara Cup came over for the free jacks when they first played i ref one of those matches in ar we we were two and a half hours actually no three hours before the match we sat down and went through every scenario every scenario mm. that could possibly and say the biggest thing i can tell the new referee is like you have time mm. just to give time and we see this a lot even at the free jacks matches people will be yelling hey you missed the call the referee saw it they're playing to see what's going to happen because something could happen to be a knock on and then the ball's down that way. Right. So you don't, you have to slow it down a little. So the biggest challenge for new referees is slow down in your head. You have time and whistle tone is all a big difference. A yeah. big long blast. People stop. They're like, Whoa, what the hell just happened? They look at you and when they look at you, just wait, you know, and then, you know, you give your, you give your secondary signal and then explain it. Right. So, you know, that, that's, that's the piece, but you know, it could be anybody. I, I find forwards that are referees know how to manage a scrum right. backs that are referees don't know how to manage scrum so much, you know what I mean? <laughs> never, never been there, but you know, a hybrid approach, they'll learn. Yeah. Right. So they probably get um, a lot more offsides calls, right. Than I would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, any position, you know what I mean? We, 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 but. You know, anybody that wants to learn and get better, that's all awesome. I can say. It can be anybody, anybody, you know what I mean? We, we have props running around still, you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Now they're not going to be doing MLR matches, <laughs> <laughs> but they can go a different route. They can AR, they can coach, they can still mm -hmm. do matches and still enjoy the game. Right. And some of those guys are pretty good. I, not to make excuses for the referees whose fitness may not be amazing, but you know, you, you, I've been surprised by the quality of the refereeing some guys are capable of from 20, oh, 30 yeah. yards away. And we have a ranking system. So 
you know, someone might be like a, a five in knowledge, you know, one to 10, but you know, <laughs> right. they're, they're actually like an eight now because they can't keep up with it. They're just older. They can't keep up with the play. Right. So, but mm -hmm. we take that five and put them in a lower, um, uh, a slower match. It just, uh, it just makes the game so much better. Right. So there's, there's plenty to rugby go. There's about 55 matches just in the Boston area every Saturday. That's wild. You know, Saturday and Sunday. That's why we're like, guys, girls, don't schedule everything for one o'clock. Put some at five, put one at four, play in the morning. We have to move things around because we only have so many referees to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you feel well, about Friday night? Yeah, Friday night would be great. You can get the yeah. field. Right. I don't know if you want to be at Moakley on Friday night, though. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Um, you have refereed a lot in a lot of places. What is the strangest thing you have seen in a rugby match? Oh, oh man. I, you, I saw that question. I'm like, define strange, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Other than Streaker. And, yeah? Yeah, Streaker came right through the match, two of them. That was at, um, that was at Savannah. It That's was pretty final, good. It was the final come down. Um, I... I, I, there's God, there's so much. I, I'm so I was thinking of this. I'm like, I don't know where to go yeah. with it. I mean, two streakers in a tournament yeah. final is pretty good. That's that was good pretty one. Fun. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I saw another streaker at Nerfu back in the <laughs> early 90s. There was a puddle down in the underneath the posts, you know, mm -hmm. um, in the middle field that right there by the by the hill. Yeah, and you're walking down, there's a puddle right underneath the posts, and two guys get out there and buck naked and um, did a pass and a dive into the into the puddle while the match is going on. All so, right, um, I don't know who they were, but yeah, that one was, of them was probably Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was Buzzy. No, it was it was, uh, it was it was pretty. That was pretty funny, but yeah. you know, I've seen a lot of injuries. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of. Um, you know, weird injuries, you know what I mean? Um, right. I got to say, don't have piercings if you're playing rugby. Yeah. I've seen that. You know, that's not fun. Um, no. But, yeah, men and women. So it's like, ah, you shouldn't be having that pierced, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> Especially yeah. tackles, Ooh, you know, but no, that's, that's, that's different. So those are the weirdest things out there, you know, that... Really nothing. I mean, I'm trying to take it up to the highest level. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, referee, you may get, may get some free nudity out of it. Yeah, there you, you know. go. Right. Uh, I don't even have to pay. Try awarded. Yeah, um, so do you have a favorite venue within New England? Because we are, you know, trying to hype people to get out and referee in this area. Do you have a favorite venue, a great place to go and referee? Uh, Dartmouth. Yeah. Dartmouth is their pitch is regulation. It's grass, which is great because turf. I hate turf. Yeah. They have a clubhouse, and it's uh, a great setting, idyllic setting, looking out, you know, over the mountains, and it's right there, and it's just it's it's rugby mecca. So that's number one. Um, another one in New England, you know, of course, I love Newport. Newport's got great views. Yeah, you know, it's nice and soft, and it's just a great venue to do. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other. Worcester has a good pitch now, so they have a really decent oh. pitch. They have a, a decent pitch that's been playing. A Mystic is big, you know. It's like Lansdowne. You may have Lansdowne, so yeah. that's a lot of running, you know. And unfortunately, I like. Oh, and Babson. Babson has a really good pitch. Babson has a rugby pitch with rugby lines. That's what I like. Rugby lines, rugby pitch. So Harvard. Yeah. You know that's a turf, but it's a little yep. small. That's a fun place to go. 
um, Harvard, Babson, uh, Dartmouth, number one, just pleasure to go there. Um, Brown is okay. Their field is decent. You know, it's grass, but mm-hmm. there's a good, it's, that's a great environment too, because everybody's yeah. there, you know, and Brown has good rugby and it's really good rugby and it's collegiate. It's, it's higher level. So any of those higher level, now that there's money being dumped into it, they're starting to do proper rugby pitches and proper, you know, fields and lines and et cetera. Excellent. Excellent. I have one more question for you. Sure. This one's a little. Uh, this one's a little out there, but we're asking it from everybody I talk to at least this uh, this spring. Zombie apocalypse scenario. Total societal collapse. What is your weapon of choice? What are you? How are you getting through this zombie apocalypse? Ah, that's a good point. Flamethrower. Excellent. It has to that's be a flamethrower. You know, although they can be live, they could come at you and could get you burned too. But. So shotgun, flamethrower, those are the two things I need to have. It's a good combo. Yeah, for the close encounters and for the long (laughs) It's good. My favorite answer is that we've had some good ones. One person said one of those Boston Dynamics robots, but the ones they're going to give the military, you know, it could fight for you. Okay, that's that's a good answer. Just the – Yeah, you're not not doing it. Intelligent robot defender. Okay. I was thinking a Chinese weather balloon. You know, that would be good. (laughs) (laughs) Good for something, anyway. Absolutely. Oh, man. Love it. Well, thank you very much. NERugbyRefs.org is that website for people who want to sign up to become a referee. You may see us there. Kalu Kalei, your lucky day. Um, thank you, Tom. This has been a real treat. No problem, guys. Have a good one. See you guys. Who's up? Right? I say it right? Uh, yeah, Phil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Huzzah! Huzzah! Huzzah, Rangers. This is Dave McVeigh here with Chris Lynn for the Outriders segment. Phil has been kidnapped by federal agents, freed himself deep in the White Mountains, and is slowly navigating back to his home using only the stars and tree moss to guide him. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I sent I sent uh, Phil my coordinates. If he needs a, a secret place to stay, he can stay in the granite bunker. Uh, federal agents do not know where it is. However, the army does. So I guess they kind of do. He might be screwed. He might not. But I have some survival gear and some s- stuff that he can stay out in the woods for a while. And I can teach him some skills. So, Phil, get at me, Wolf. Let's go. There you go. If you hear a knock at the door, you know, early in the morning, you know who it is. Um yeah, so I'll be filling in for Phil as the host today. In his absence, he's okay. You just can't make it this evening. And Chris is stepping in in the guest outrider slot. Should I'm not just any guest outrider slot. You're, I'm Dave right now. That's I'm right. Dave That's and right. Dave. You gotta, you know, you gotta bring the real weird takes. We'll see how much weird energy you can bring. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll get. We'll there. try. <laughs> Um, out in San Diego this week for the second match of the Free Jack season. It was a sunny 50-something degree day. The only window of good weather sandwiched between some very rare Southern California blizzard warnings above certain elevations. Um, we got a pitch report from Wheelsy shot with a camera lens that made Snapdragon look approximately a mile wide. I thought that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was notable in the broadcast. The crowd suffered a little bit. I know LA Sevens was going on the same weekend, which is obviously that's an international rugby draw. So I'm sure that slurped up some of the audience. Um, just a little bit of a drop off that first week debut is to be expected. And then uh, I heard a couple people say that, you know, Southern Californians really don't love driving in any kind of bad weather. And even though the weather at the match was pretty good, before and after was 
gnarly. So a little bit of a drop there. Seems pretty weak to me, Dave. <laughs> you know, it's, Southern California is beautiful, but it does spoil you. Who would want to do anything in the rain when it only rains four or five days a year? Um, my good buddy Mike was there. He actually caught up with Kenny, uh, one of our um, good friends of the show, brought him a beer, and that was great. I thought Kenny would be a perfect ambassador of the sport. Mike is uh, very interested just getting into it. So I know they got along famously. I got some good pictures. And it looks like it was a great day in San Diego for Free Jacks fans other than what was going on on the pitch. Yeah. Um, Bummer, dude. <laughs> just one minor problem. So the first 10 minutes of the match were very back and forth, a lot of big hits and a lot of handling and set-piece errors from both teams. Uh, San Diego found themselves in scoring position thanks to a scrum penalty, one of several in the first half. They set up a line-out mall, and Malolo, the hooker, from the back, I really liked this move. He faked to one side on a pick and got the defender to bounce around the back of the mall, and then he went to the undefended side and yep. was just able to get across. He got tackled, but all he needed was that you know extra meter or so that he got from his little... Can I pause you out. real quick? Yeah. So this sets a theme to, for me for the rest of the match. So at you, you're dead on at 10 minutes, right? We had our own scrum. It was inside our own 22 leads to a penalty and that gave that line out. And that sets the sets the theme for the match where we, we make an error, it compounds to further error and then San Diego points. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, unfortunately, a pattern that we'd see repeated a little bit. So yeah. 15 minutes in, New England get their own chance with a five-meter line-out, but they run into trouble when Connor Keyes does his best audition for WWE and puts an opponent, I think it was Poitavin, put him in a chin lock, just full-on chin lock, had him stood up in, this, in the mall. Um, just a penalty, though. Rugby's fun. We let the boys have a good time out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was it for the first 20 minutes. They went into the water break, and then coming out of that, a clever short throw from the San Diego lineout, 26 minutes, got them up to the try line, and then a kick pass with advantage all the way across the field to Eagle Nate Oxberger saw San Diego earn another five points. They were not able to convert it, but that made it 12 to nothing, San Diego. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely pass, a lovely kick pass. Um, but that's probably the only nice thing we can say about that passage of play. Uh, a little bit later on, a big Joe Johnston run on the wing got New England within striking distance. But after a San Diego poach and a knock and a forward pass, another San Diego penalty, we finally get a New England score thanks to a weird passage of play where a five-meter scrum wheels. Vian Conradi kind of breaks off the back of it. There are two San Diego defenders on him, but they can't quite get to the ball. And he megs one of them with the ball, which, if you're not familiar, is a soccer term for when you beat somebody by passing the ball through their legs and running around them. So he megs the guy and then puts Joe Johnston on side by moving forward. Joe Johnston dives down, touches the ball down. A real weird try. One of the weirdest you're going to see this season, I'd say, in MLR. But it was legal. It counted. And the Free Jacks were finally on the board 12-7. to 7. 
the final 10 minutes of the half saw a bunch of errors from both teams. Neither team was able to capitalize on any of the set pieces that materialized in that penalty, in that period. And we went into the half 12 to seven, New England trailing by just five points, an ugly first half for both teams, but San Diego seeing the better of it. Chris, what were you thinking at halftime? You know, obviously I was thinking that we were still well into it, um, but I but I didn't I was not confident because we hadn't really shown much. We had a ton of great attacking positions that we just I mean, we just pissed them away. That's the best way to describe it. Anytime we went to the line out, there was no confidence that we were going to win the line out without any types of troubles or giving it away. Um and it was very frustrating. The only um, I don't like to talk about the refs that much. I thought Scott Green did an outstanding job. I think he eventually got it correct. But one of the things that really frustrated me, you had alluded to it. It led to our try where we kind of wheeled a little bit and we scored the try. Earlier, we had an attacking platform, an attacking scrum in between uh, San Diego's 22 and 10 meter line. So it's prime attacking territory. Plenty of space for backs to run, get phase play going, and the same thing happened, but he pinged us instead of, well, he didn't uh, penalize San Diego. We scored the try, so it didn't really matter. But he right. pinged us for that. And I thought that that was like a, a lone inconsistency. Um, but it ended up, you know, a couple, you know, things later, San Diego scored. And so, you know, that setting the theme of our errors compounding into San Diego points. And I think that that was kind of why my confidence really wasn't high going into the second half. I was really worried because we weren't making San Diego pay for any of their errors and they had plenty as well. And they were making us pay um, for at least, I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it, it felt like they were only kind of converting our errors at like a 30% clip, but they were converting something and we yeah. were converting nothing. And then our attack and our phase play, Unlike the previous week at NOLA where we were going places and we were punching holes left and right and breaking their defense and causing chaos, and we were doing well, the San Diego defense was pretty stout. So give them credit, too. Yeah. Like, you know, you can say as much as you want that it's our uh, – hey, at line-out time when we're missing throws, that's self-controlled, and I get that. But in the face play, anytime there was a knock or a turnover, you anytime I'm, – I'm a firm believer in this – anytime that there's a turnover in rugby and defense – especially after prolonged face play, that's because you're playing good defense and you've finally broken down their attack to the point where they've tried something that they wouldn't normally do or you finally isolated a guy. That's right. to do to good defensive work. So credit San Diego. They were, I thought their defense was unreal, to be yeah, honest. They brought, they brought a lot of line speed and they were very, very capable at shutting down that outside channel. Uh, Patros did a pretty good job at times of getting around it. He threw some looping passes over yeah. those crashing defenders in that 13 slot. But overall, it was a problem. You know, we can see a few places where there are solutions. They also charged kicks down really well. I think it was in the first half where that there were like three kicks in a row. They yeah. all got charged down. Um, they were really contesting heavily on defense. I think I think you're right to credit San Diego for that. It was one of the things that they did well uh throughout the match certainly some errors that they made but generally speaking their defensive pressure was pretty high mm. um we can we'll get into that a little bit more I, I did a little bit of um uh data collection on my second viewing of the match looking at where errors you know occurred um and whether they were forced or unforced uh but the second half started with 
um, New England, sorry, the opening minutes of the second half saw New England end several San Diego threats inside the 22. So we were able to stop them several times early in that second half, and I was feeling pretty good. We had a good poach from Sam Fishley, another one from Joe Johnston. Both of those ended um, possession for San Diego and relieved a lot of the pressure from the defense of New England. The problem was that following through on the resulting set pieces, those lineouts that we get was a little bit tricky. Uh, finally, the hosts, uh, I think you mean garbage, garbage, garbage. Um, <laughs> the hosts just refused to leave the party empty handed. And after 50 minutes, Josh Henderson, the San Diego 10 caught a prop flat footed in the open field and just wrong weighed him. Oh man. Ran 15, 20 meters and scored the try 19 to seven San Diego. And if you're a fly half, that's, that's your dream is to get yeah. a one-on-one in the center of the field with space on both sides with a prop. I mean, Dave, can you like, even really blame, can you, I'll leave his name out of it. I know what free Jack's. Yeah, we was. know, we know. Who it, it, was. It, it was our, it was our mafia member. I'll just leave name, it at that. We don't yeah, name. We don't, we don't, we don't name names. Yeah, we do not. Because to be yeah. honest with you, dude, oh my goodness, that's every big man's worst nightmare. It is, is the fleet-footed back in front of fear. you, dude. And you got no help on the it's, inside. It's uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's okay when you've got help and you can say, I. It, it's okay if I make the wrong read as long as I slow him down and make him make a step. Our defense can react. We'll shut him down. Yeah. But when you got when it's you by yourself, uh, it's that you're deer in headlights. There, you know, the lonely island man. He, he yeah. is out there. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, fortunately, five minutes later, it was New England's turn to generate some threat. Several high tackles in a row saw the San Diego number eight sent off with a yellow card for a shoulder he put into Captain Hurt Magnet himself, Josh Larson. New England, again, were unable to turn opportunity into points. San Diego got the ball back, kick it deep and get a good exit. An isolated Mitch Wilson evades about four different defenders, but still doesn't have enough support by the time he goes down. And San Diego turn it over with a not releasing call. Henderson goes for points to wisely move the scoreboard to 22 to 7 at 60 minutes. So with yeah, 20 minutes rough, to go. Man. Yeah, they're up by 15 points. Not looking good at that point. Just five minutes later after the water break, the San Diego number eight has returned. We've got nothing to show for the yellow card. In fact, they've extended their lead by three points. And at that point, it really starts to feel like this is a big hill to climb. To pull out a win with 15 minutes to go when you're down by more than two converted tries, certainly not impossible. We've seen the Free Jacks do similar things in the past, but that is not looking good at that point. Um, Our best opportunity in that time frame was squandered with another line-out error. Another chance comes from a scrum penalty to New England. We win our line out. We see some phases lead to a big run from prop to Vita Sole, but support is late. The ball is poached. The chance is gone again. 76 minutes in, replacement scrum half. Kieran McLee throws a dummy and then a long pass to Samisi Paya on the outside, who's just lined up in a good spot. He gathers it from his shoelaces. It's a great catch. And he dives across the line to get the Free Jacks their second try of the day, making it 22-12 to 12 with San Diego ahead by 10 points. Time would run out with San Diego in control of the ball inside of the New England 22. And they would extend it thanks to a penalty against New England at 81 minutes. San Diego's first line out mall is held up, but another penalty kept hope alive. 
and after a number of phases, Nate Augsburger again scored on the outside, with a, giving us a final score of eighty uh, at eighty-five minutes of twenty-seven to twelve. A lot of a lot of time after the final buzzer there. What were you thinking when this match finally wound down to a close? It seemed almost cruel those last five minutes. Well, my wife was trying to put my my infant daughter to bed, and I was like, "Hey, the game's almost over. It's only got a minute left." So there was that frustration, compounded yeah. with, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I could give two shits about a San Diego bonus point. Uh, you know, I know that there's these are professional players, and there's a lot of pride in the line, but ha- half of me was wishing just just let them in, let them score, and and run away because it's not like it's New York, Toronto, DC, Atlanta, Nola. It's not an Eastern Conference opponent. It doesn't matter. I guess it only matters right where who has home field for the Shield, whatever. Yeah. Um, but dude, whatever, man. Like, oh, I was just it was just like the game prolonging, and it was just more of the same compounding pain that we'd been watching the whole game like this is um one this game felt like um if you've ever had a day at work where you just felt like nothing was going right um and and that's that's kind of like what it was you know and i was just very frustrated watching the match for the players just things weren't coming off we weren't rallying we weren't we had some bright spots, but our bright spots were always punctuated by a, we tried to do too much, got isolated. And uh, so like basically um, I kind of liken it to San Diego played chicken with us and they won every time. And you're just like, well, the law of averages would think that we would at least win 50% of the time. Right. And it's like, no, we lost 100% of the time. <laughs> and, and, and that's the way it felt. Uh, I'm glad that we came away with two tries. What One of the things that I was very proud of is I think that this team, uh, continued to to fight very hard, um, yeah. and I think that it's important to view the match in context, which I'm sure we're, you'll, you're going to lead us into to talking. So, but I was super frustrated at the end of that match because like my wife's like kind of nagging me over here, and every, if you if you're a dad and a husband, you know these things, and I'm like, oh, I'm so obsessed with the sport. I'm like, this is my one time, and I'm like, it's 80th minute. Just, Either kick right. it out or score the trial. Like, let's go. Just, just need, just needed to end now. This yeah, is we're not, we're ends. not winning. I know that. And, yeah. But I, but I, but as a fan, I just couldn't. You know, you know what? This one's for the. This message right here is for the for the free jacks themselves. I'm not going to turn your game off, boys. I'm going to watch you play to the final whistle because <laughs> I like watching you play no matter what. So, yeah, they they had plenty of fight. You know, the effort was high. Mm. Um, I talked to my friend Wes at work about this today as well. You know, in, in terms of. What was missing, and what does that mean? Uh, and before we move on, we I see a couple questions from fans in the chat, Gary and Dan, about where Phil is. Phil just couldn't make it tonight. He's actually behind the scenes, still running everything, um, and he's he's all right. He just was not able to join the broadcast. So Chris and I are diving on this one. And, yeah, he's uh, currently evading federal agents on the run. That's, no. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. May or may we can neither confirm nor deny the location of Phil Harris at this time. Um, yeah, so what was wrong and what wasn't almost everything to my eye went wrong at some point, right? Mm, Very few things were wrong the whole time. Lineouts were a problem for most of the match. Um, Mm -hmm. that was probably the most consistent thing. We had, uh, some possession. We couldn't keep possession, whether it was losing the ball on the deck in the tackle or getting poached because support wasn't there for whatever reason. Um, it was a little bit hard for us to get the continuity going. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it, it was like 
everything phased in from the scrum was a problem for a while and then it was fine actually there was like most of the game in the middle of the game it was it was pretty good we had some good platforms we even won a couple penalties but we also gave up like three scrum penalties mm -hmm. um our errors so i looked at forced and unforced kick pass errors and i looked at forced and unforced set piece errors and what i noticed was San Diego forced a bunch of kick pass errors with that defense that we already talked about. Yeah. There were a lot of drop balls. There were blocked kicks. There was just pressure galore and you know, a pick at one point, right? Like it was a lot. And that's credit to San Diego. They in the phase play, something that we know was is something new to our game plan. We're expanding that phase play this season, seeing much more of it. Um, they saw vulnerability and they pounced on it where they could. They generated some turnovers from it. Um, but when we look at the set piece, it's a different story. And there it looks like really unforced errors killed us, right? Mm -hmm. That it was um, overthrows the line out, not straight or drop passes, um, all sorts of problems like that, things that we did to ourselves. Uh, the good news is that all of those things are really addressable um there are a lot of things that we can improve in there and we already talked about at halftime and even then for another 15 minutes after the half we were like man it's still 12 to 7 but this is like this is a very close game it hasn't yeah that's a winnable match 100 100 and and san diego it seemed like made the adjustments at halftime that they needed to make to come back not have a perfect second half but a, a better second half certainly defensively and in the set piece they really had a good shutdown in that second half um and we just continued to have those struggles that we had capitalizing on um opportunities that we got we saw so many times that new england were able to get into san diego half and even into the 22 and then not able to get away with anything. Yeah. Um, so what do we take out of it? If we look at the match and we think, like, what does this really mean? We put out a performance this poor, I think, and we're still hanging in there against one of the better teams in the league, then I think we're actually in better shape than we probably felt while watching that match. I agree um, with her. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego did not have a great game, but they had a, a decent game and a good enough one to win. And as, as many errors as we made, we were still able a few times to score. We, when we could get things together and keep the ball, you know, we, it was a recognizably strong team. The problem was really in like the continuity and the set piece that interrupted mm. our game and prevented us from doing what we do best. Um, I think that we now have two weeks to prepare for the home opener against DC. Our effort was high. The effort was fine. We just faltered across areas related to, you know, like execution. Um, DC is going to continue to be hyped up in this time. And we're, there's going to be plenty of bulletin board material, as Bill Belichick would say, for the, you know, New England players to to put on the bulletin board in the practice room and get motivated against this DC team that we'll host on March 11th. I see some potential changes in the starting lineup um, for the free Jacks. And I think that that starting lineup is going to come out with a chip on their shoulder uh, in Quincy and really 
have something to prove. I said, I said to my buddy Wes, like, I feel a little bit sorry for DC because they are going to bear, not that their team will walk over, they're a good team, but I think there's going to be some intensity when the Free Jacks hit the pitch in Quincy and we, the fans, are going to get to, you know, benefit from being there to see it. What do you think? So I just wanted to take a couple of things about the match and turn. I love how you broke it down about forced and unforced errors. But for me, um, it, it, you know, and you'll know this in our Outriders chat, I go crazy, dude. My, my, I'm like all caps all the time, like throwing stuff like, dude, listen, there's a reason why I got no hair. It might be a lot about genetic, a lot about stress too, because I just like throw it all out there. But now that I've had a time, I, I rewatched portions of the match. But the problem for us was it was the combination of both, Dave. It was the combination of both. When we had front football and we were on on them, we were putting them under pressure like we had already talked about. We're in between their 22-meter line and their 10-meter line. We're in a great attacking platform. We give the ball away. Then we commit a turnover because of the kick-pass stuff, right? And then... The, the, that turnover was generally, I think a couple of times, at least two, it was a penalty. So now San Diego gains further territory and or points, and now they're scoring a try. It all compounded. So when it went wrong, it went wrong all the way for us. And that was the that was really the difference to me in, in this match. It really had nothing to do with heart. Uh, it had nothing to do with desire. I don't think it had anything to do with playing ability. I think that in terms of the matchup team on team where it came down to a very difficult position for us was, you know, I was very disheartened by our phase play. I really was like, I, it wasn't for a lack of creativity or, 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 or that stuff. I saw uh, Jason Patros was, was finding the gaps, right? But we would eventually get turned over when we did find a way through which was the problem, right? Because we were over-resourced because we were kind of just throwing it all at it and we were throwing the kitchen sink at them. And then eventually they kind of found our last straw and, and we broke before they did. Our attack broke before their defense. We might've found holes and made the game line, but that didn't matter. They bend, but they didn't break. And that was a consistent problem. So that lack, and then under that backdrop of, uh, you know, consistent, we had really good face play. I thought that's good because listen, man, any good attack in any good rugby team and any good attacking team will always turn it over and give away penalties. It just happens. It's part of the game. It's the nature um, that, of the sport, yeah. That's right. It's how you're finding your way through the defense, through the match, right? That's why all of a sudden the tries start coming in the, the 50th, 60th, 70th minute and not the 10, 20. Everybody's fresh. Everybody's thinking. You haven't broke them down yet. You don't know what their tendencies are yet. All that stuff, right? So, but the problem was though, is we didn't have a set piece that we could rely on. And so I think that psychologically played into like, Hey, we got to get this through phase play. So we were just forcing it, man. We were forcing it and it, and it felt that way. Um, and, and, and like I said, I already covered it. It, it compounded our errors and then San Diego, they didn't really even com- convert at a good clip, but I think it's also important to frame this match contextually for what it was. This is week two. Like, think about, and this is San Diego, both San Diego players and our players. So this is not unique to, to the Free Jacks. But you've guys got you've got guys coming from all over the world. You know, you've got guys like Connor Keys that have been in camp since 2022. So it might be week two MLR, but this dude's been working hard for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? And then you got other guys like Jason Patros, who just had a child and flew in from New Zealand. He hasn't been here 
I don't even think he's been here a month, man. It might be just about a month right now as we're as we're filming this on February 27th that right. he's been in the United States. So it's like there's been a lot of these guys and it's like they're traveling around, they're working hard, they're getting acclimated. It's week two. I think you saw two really good teams that definitely have MLR final contention. I think it's realistic to say um, sure. that were pretty sharp compared to their their peer teams. I think Houston being another team that's really sharp. Um, and you saw him going head to head in week two. So you saw a lot of errors and, and, and whatever. So what do I take away from this match? I mean, it's a disappointing performance, but I'll also remind people and I'll also remind all of our listeners out there, the rugby New York, whatever the hell their name is, got blanked by the Los Angeles Giltinis 43 to zero. Let me say that again, 43 to zero. Yes. Okay. And they were MLR champions last year. So it happens, man. So I wouldn't, I mean, the fact that we put points on the board, that we had bright moments despite pretty much, I mean, Dave, would you agree with like pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong in this game? Yeah, yeah. There was, every, in every area of the game, it, it was a problem at some point. Yeah. Right. So the fact that we could still put points on the board and that we didn't lose 43 to zero, I mean, yeah. I, Am I disappointed with the loss? Yes, but I'm also concerned. I, I agree with you. I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be so worried if I were DC. They looked very good. We'll have to see what they do this week and uh, and week three proper as we're off uh, to make a better judgment on that. But I thought that they had a very strong opening weekend at home, and I look forward to a cracking match because this could have huge Eastern Conference implications because. Eastern Conference, it's another, it's a, it's a thing for another time. But if you're paying attention to the league, I think it's kind of wide open with the way yeah. that everything's kind of fallen. So it'll be a very crucial week three clash with DC. I think we need that one. I think it's a must win at home. Yeah, it will be a huge match and we will be there. We'll be loud. That's March 11th. If you didn't know, get your tickets, get to the Stout Fest. We are going to try to sell that place out and make a lot of noise. So. Moving into the most beloved segment of the Outriders report, the musket-sized pants tent, which I get to give out for the first time in my Outrider career. And Hell yeah. I, I have just been champing at the bit for it. This one's going to go to Josh Henderson, the fly half for San Diego. He, yes, he kicked a ton. Uh, he kicked half a kilometer, had over five hundred meters in kicking in that match um compared to just uh 200 for jason patros our top kicker another 140 for mitch wilson um in addition to kicking 546 meters josh henderson uh scored a try a good solo effort worth seven points he kicked one of the penalties he kicked another conversion he was the points leader for san diego and mm. uh looked very good he's a young player out of scotland um he didn't quite scotland only has two professional teams glasgow and edinburgh so it's you know it's kind of tough place to come up as a professional player uh they have the foz rock super six which just started up it's actually a younger league even than mlr and it's plagued with a few of its own problems so cool to see a scottish player in his early 20s coming over here to uh you know develop into who he can be he's uh, qualified for scotland did a lot of you uh, age grade stuff there, the U16, the U19s, U20s, and he's also qualified for Hong Kong. So a little bit of a uh, connection to our new forwards coach there. Um, 
Moving into the Free Jacks MVP, there was a lot of mess, <laughs> a lot of mess to pick through. We got the soundboard rolling. It's good times. Uh, Phil's enjoying the producer role. Um, from places unknown. From places unknown, yeah. Coming to you from the deep woods of New Hampshire. Uh, Free Jacks MVP, there was a lot of mess to pick through, but who did you see as the best performer for the Free Jacks in this San Diego match? Uh the emotional angriness of me wants to pick none of you because you're all loot now. <laughs> nobody gets any recognition. <laughs> nobody, nobody. Um, no, to be honest with you, my MVP is Kyle Sakara for not really any anything special, I guess, about what he did, um, but for no other fact that somehow that majestic mullet and Fu Manchu <laughs> went off the pitch, was subbed off. But the professional announcers who are paid to do that had no idea. And they thought he had played all 80 minutes. I don't know how exactly how many minutes he missed, but he definitely missed a couple of those minutes as he was subbed off for the day. And he did it with it, it looked like somehow during the match that his other eye, his good, the, the eye that he the, came in with good with was starting to swell shut. But his, you know, basically with one eye swollen shut and then another eye potentially swelling shut during the match goes off has to come back on while your team is suffering through all of these errors and he kept fighting through it and i think and like we we were talking about before the scrum took some penalties early on i think scott green kind of wised up to it and realized that maybe we were getting the better of that and started giving him our way i don't know if he was responsible for any i didn't double check that but for no other reason that his hair looks good fu manchu was awesome he had to get subbed back on, and I think that all us club rugby players can understand the pain of going to the sideline, drinking a beer, and thinking you're done for the day. Not yeah. saying that he drank a beer, but I'm just saying you think yeah. you're done, and then you got to come back. So my uh, MVP was Kyle Sakara, the Eagle. Excellent. Yeah, you get, when you're in the front row, you keep your boots on. That's, that's, that's the position where you're allowed back in as a sub if something happens so that we can keep having contested scrums. So doesn't happen often but there you go Kyle Sakara I like that recognition for me I'm gonna have to give MVP to Vian Conradi he had 21 carries for 131 meters he was one of the yeah one of the more effective looking ball carriers out there for either team um, in terms of consistency on his carries he was also the tackle leader for the free jacks and he megged a guy how often do you meg a guy in a major league rugby or any kind of rugby match so for me, Vian Conradi is my MVP. Um, we have one final question from a fan, Liam Madigan, that yeah. we'll talk about a little bit as we close out. We've kind of hinted around it, and I don't think anybody will be too surprised by our answers, but his question was a good one, and it was this. Was this just a bad early season game, or is the subtraction of Dougie Fife and Bodine Waka's big play ability exposing issues that have been there with the free jacks since last season what do you think chris just a bad game or are we starting to see some long festering problems with the free jacks i mean no matter what i say it could age it could age poorly um however actually i'll stop you and say i said long festering that's not what liam said and i don't think that's really accurate to what he means either not long festering problems but rather Yes, the gasp. <laughs> I'm loving the soundboard. 
not but really more just that like those problems were there but when you have players with like you said the big playability of dougie fife and bodine waka that if you have other areas that aren't consistent those guys will bail you out often enough what do you think yeah yeah i think that this is um you know i'm gonna go with the safe opinion i guess is to say uh it's not to say that i we, that i'm not as a fan i'm not missing the likes of dougie fife or or bodine waka you know dougie dougie fife started an rbs six nations match man i how many other mlr players can say that i don't think any uh that i'm aware of so that's that's a pretty big deal uh that's that's rugby's greatest championship if anybody's wondering that's right uh and then you know with bodine waka he's obviously new zealand sevens and an npc guy so he's got a wealth of experience um I'm fully confident in uh, Mitch Wilson at the back at 15. I think he's done a phenomenal job. And then I, we didn't really talk about him on, on the show today, but I thought he did a great job against San Diego. I thought he was great under the high ball. He did good under pressure. If he doesn't get supported, that's I'm, unfortunately, I hate to call his teammates out, but that's not really on Mitch. Maybe it could be kind of, but whatever. We'll just table that. And then I think that Jason Patros is more than a capable. Uh, he's a pure 10 where, People forget Walker had a great season at 10. I, I, I take nothing away from the man. He's he's in a phenomenal, he's an outstanding rugby player. But he's not a he's not a 10. And he I think he'll even tell you that he's not a he's not a first five, as they call it in New Zealand. Uh, Jason Potros is a is a pure first five, and he's played at NPC that's that game speed level for for a decade. So um I think we're in good hands. I, I think we're we just saw a clash of two potential MLR shield competitors and you see them in week two and so you see the types of things that you're going to see in week two you're going to see set piece misfires you're going to see lack of adjustments you're going to see drop balls you're going to see lack of composure uh and for any number of reasons um we've listed a lot a lot of them um so it's just I don't think that it's it's too concerning. Time will tell, you know, if these things start repeating themselves week after week and we start losing, then okay. Then there's other problems. But you know, we forget. I mean, how long is the flight out to San Diego? Six, seven hours, man. I know they did it the day before, but man, shit's tough, dude. Yeah. Shit's tough. Well, how about if they come to Quincy? We'll see. <laughs> and then not only that, but I'll also say this with San Diego. People forget, man, Ma'ananu might be 39 years old, 40 in May or 41 in May. Um, mm-hmm. But the dude is a multiple-time World Cup winner, over 100 caps for the New Zealand All Blacks. And listen, I love MLR. I'm the clown prince of MLR. But <laughs> I'm real, man. And if you're being real, this league isn't at the level that Ma'ananu has played. It's very much below that. So even a 40-year-old Ma'ananu is going to make a huge difference. But he's 40 years old. So how well does his body hold up over the season? So if he's here at the end of the season, as we start to get sharper and we're young and we refine our shit, mm-hmm. sorry for the swear, but like if he's absent in the MLR final between the San Diego Legion and the Free Jacks, does it go that way? He's a great midfield defensive organizer. I'm just saying, you yeah, know. Who knows? I'm not, I, so I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying it's a shitty loss. I don't feel good about it. I think we all actually picked on our, our way too early predictions that we lost, that we would lose this week. So I don't know why we're so mad, but we're mad. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, I'm not worried about it, man. It's all good. 14-game winning streak coming up. There you go. 
Yeah, we did all identify this as a really difficult match. The travel reasons that you mentioned, um, you know, that San Diego's quality is just really high. They've put together an excellent team. Um, for me, my answer, I think, is an unsatisfactory yes. Um, I don't think Jason Patros or Mitch Wilson is a problem at all. Uh, maybe Waka could have waved his magic boot and done more field position-wise with his kicking, but it doesn't matter how far he puts it down the field if we're not winning our lineouts. You know, not, neither Dougie Fife nor Bodine Waka are really going to be improving the thing that we struggled the most with, which was set-piece consistency. Um, and so I don't think that that really is is a thing. What do you want to say? I'll wait till your end. Just give me give me a, give me a second at the end because I just thought of something that's relevant. I think it'll make sense to fans, but I can okay. hold it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think about seventy percent. It was just a bad, just a bad early game. Um, we saw sequences of errors that just, as you put it, compounded on each other, and that ain't great. But that's not a personnel problem. That's an execution or maybe a travel problem, a preparation. Who knows? But it can be addressed. The other 30%, I will grant, is the stuff we struggled with last season. We have not had a consistent lineout. Um, it has been one of the weak points of the Free Jacks game, of an overall great game. Um, and, but I think the biggest difference uh, between this performance and what we're used to was just that we didn't have the finishing ability that the Free Jacks usually have. Um, not nearly lethal enough to play... Uh, the sort of game that fans expect. And I think that would really was the thing that was most baffling to see the free Jacks marching down into the 22 and then just like cough up the ball. Yeah. Not couldn't once agree. Or twice, couldn't agree more. four times, you know, five times. Yeah. That was what, that was kind of the most surprising thing um, in the match. Errors happen. A lot can be forgiven um, as long as you're scoring inside that 22. But when when you're not doing that you really notice the other stuff um and i think that is what we had going on it's also worth noting as we talk about this being a week to tough week two loss you know bad game ben lasage just got out against san diego larue milan has still not seen the pitch joel hints has not shown us what he can do in the scrum we have a lot of quality players who have not even really had a chance to contribute to this team so far. So the upward potential and in terms of like the performance ceiling is so much higher than we saw in San Diego that, you know, as, as a, as a coach, obviously you want to win, you want your team to perform and to execute and to do things right. But with two weeks off to prepare and so many things that can be addressed and fixed and improved in that time. Um, it, I think it really is a situation where we, we put up a little bit of a, of a bad game, but we know why we lost. We can point to a lot of things. It would be a much worse situation if, you know, we struggled in the line out a little bit, but we felt like we did everything we could, you know, both times we got in the 22, we scored. What more could we do? I think that would actually be a worse position because we know these guys can execute. We know that this is an outlier performance wise and they can correct and come back uh, March 11th in Quincy and really make a statement. Yeah, that's really well said, Dave. I, I agree with all points across all fronts. Um, the, the the one reason why I raised my hand is because thinking back on on Liam's original question, are we missing Waka? I thought about something that maybe perhaps I should have thought about before the show, but just kind of hit me just now. 
Um, if anybody's following the Six Nations right now or, or has followed it with any type of continuity over the last decade, you'll know that Owen Farrell has pretty much owned the 10 shirt for England. And then with the emergence of Marcus Smith under Eddie Jones, you had this kind of hybrid style where they were playing with two tens and yada, yada. We won't go into the details there, but one of the things that has been highlighted in at least last week's six nations performance is how much Owen Farrell has kind of tried to poke kicks through. Cause that's kind of Marcus Smith's game. It's mm. not his game. He's an England yeah. centurion, man. He's played a hundred tests for England and it's not really been a feature of his game. It's not to say that he's never done it, but Marcus Smith does it with this magic that he just, to, to the point that you alluded to, why does this matter, right? To the Bodine Waka. It's like, so Bodine might not be a natural 10, like a like a Jason Potros, but he has a way of playing. Uh, if you'll remember in our home opener last year against Toronto, um, I don't know if it was a poke through by him, but it was a kick. And then he kind of tapped it on with his foot. He just has this yeah. magic way about him of just making things happen. And kind of Marcus Smith is the same way for England. And so are we missing that X factor, that just question mark that teams really can't prepare for? Or, and did we see a San Diego side that watched the Nola gold film and be like, okay, we got, we got the new England attack. We, we see what Jason Potros is all about. We can bring, if we bring line speed, if we bring adjustments and whatever, we can pressure him, make him play phases. We can make him a non-factor and we can make the other players beat us and we'll rely, you know, who knows what, what, what the internal, the players would know more about that than us. And that would take some really detailed film breakdown analysis that I just don't have time for. But my gut feeling says that these guys are professionals and they have, this is a professional league. So they've got to have somebody looking at this type of stuff. Um, so to answer Liam's question, I guess, I guess maybe I'm, I'm backpedaling a little bit and maybe we're, we're missing it a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, it still remains to be seen because Jason Potros performance against Nola was unreal to come out of the blocks with with the shadow of the league mvp hanging over your specific jersey i mean that that's a big deal so i mean that was a really long rant i'm sorry but i just no, kinda, no. i thought it was relevant um you know hey go get your storm along you know what it that's is right. i i feel like more than anything else maybe we now know what it's like to lose to a team like the free jacks where yeah. they're just going to force errors and they're going to make everything hard for you. And it's tough to put together continuous play. And, and, you know, we now, we now know what it feels like to, to put up one of those losses where I look forward to seeing them in June and dancing yeah. on their grave as we rock away with the MLR shield. If I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Let's but go. the only, the only way we will play them again this season is if it's in the MLR final. So that's true. If, if there is a rematch, boy it'll be one that's a long time coming and one that both teams will be very eager to uh bring their best to so we'll see yeah. what's in the cards on to the bye week and then on to dc oh we got phil the ghost uh we're gonna get out of here you know what we're gonna do on three two one huzzah, huzzah! thanks guys thanks everybody for tuning in cheers all right, Rangers, tell us how we did. Send us an email at jacksrangershow at gmail.com. Really enjoyed talking to Tom Barrio from the New England Rugby Referee Society. Hope to see all of the Rangers out there at one of these clinics to become a certified referee and learn more about the laws of the game of rugby. 
Really appreciate Diamond Dave and Bozo6 stepping up to the plate for our Outriders segment here. People always ask, Phil, how can I help the show? One of the things that you can definitely do that is free is to go ahead and like and comment on all of our social media posts. Get the discussion going within the community on those posts. We really appreciate the Rangers that continue to do that. That's going to wrap her up for this episode. Hope to see all of you at Fort Quincy against DC on March the 11th. And with that being said, I got one word for you to exit this particular episode in three, two, one, huzzah!